Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I am your host, Frank Trois, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. Joining me on the show are market participants ranging from hedge funds to fintech, and as diverse and eclectic a group as winemakers and priests. All of us, like you, asking the same question we all do when we turn on the TV nowadays, why? Unhedged is a weekly podcast, and on occasion a bi-weekly podcast, based on the subject matter. You can subscribe to Unhedged through iTunes. As always, your feedback is appreciated, both good and bad. So let's get started. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to SohoCap.com slash Unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello, and welcome back to Unhedged. This is Frank Trois, and again, we are here with Amit Paul from the UK. Amit, why don't we pick up where we left off uh, earlier in terms of, of Brexit and and I recall just two years ago, and in full disclosure to our listeners, you and I work together, we've collaborated on projects together, so we have a fairly incestuous relationship. Um, what has the implication been for the the, the startup community? Because two or three years ago, the UK was the hottest thing. I mean, is, has Brexit completely derailed that? <clears throat> Well, when the referendum results were announced, the UK tech scene, especially the startup, was taken by shock. You know, however, it's just gone strength from strength. Uh, partly it's to do with entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs really focus on creating a better future and take control of the things that they can influence. So I think, one, that's just the nature. The second thing is is that we still remain in the, the union um, only for another six weeks or so. But in the last couple of years, you know, the inward investment into the UK has been phenomenal. There's been a number of, you know, further unicorns and IPOs. So it's a vibrant sector, without a doubt. And what, what, but, but is, is it, did Brexit impact it at all? I mean, the, the, I, I go back to, I remember, for example, that the companies like Robinhood were, were looking at London as a, uh, as a key growth area, Brexit got on the radar. Uh, all of a sudden, that went to, to to hell. And then at the same time, Robinhood in the past six months, there's been rumors in the market that they're they're now planning to go back to the UK. So, what what from your standpoint has changed that would cause these folks to say, "Hey, now now is a good time to go back there"? Well, look, I think there are a number of things. Uh, uncertainty, Brexit, without a doubt, has been a disaster because it's created a lot of uncertainty in the short term. And if you're entering a new market, most people wouldn't want to avoid it. Alliance have produced a report recently talking about global risk factors. And guess what? Brexit globally is the third highest risk factor. Intriguingly, cyber, cyber, cyber attacks is the number one. So uncertainty has that impact. I'm surprised that Robin Hood putting it on pause and, and you know, if what you're saying is true, they're reevaluating it. That makes perfect sense because 
You've got to remember the UK still remains the financial capital of the world. And, you know, if we look at the amount of investment that's come in just for fintechs, the, the UK has had the largest amount globally of fintech investments. So, sure, I, I, you know, I think the discussion is short-term versus mid-term versus long-term. Short-term, the, uh, the UK tech scene will continue to flourish, go strength to strength. Then you hit the implications of what happens post-March the 29th when the UK companies and those tech companies will have to you know, apply new regulation issues. So that could be passporting for fintech companies, for general companies, how are they going to comply to GDPR, data, you, you know, the, the, the data at the moment is generated by a business or a fintech or a health tech company in Germany could still reside in the UK. Come April onwards, that will have to be country specific. So there's an extra cost and barrier to scale that these companies, you know, whether you're a startup or a scale-up or a unicorn, that will impact their businesses without a doubt. So take me back because your firm has the ability to kind of look at these opportunities from from a strategic consulting and, and also as an investor. Have has has what was under your radar two or three years ago changed materially to today? Or, or are you in fact still looking at now the same things that you were looking at three or four years ago? Well, no, no, we've become really laser focused on investing in scale ups. Whereas three, four years ago, we were much more focused on the early stage one. And what we've noticed is that virtually all of our portfolio companies we've invested in Frank are expanding internationally outside the U outside Europe. And that probably links to just general macroeconomics. You know, the, the U S is the largest trading partner for the UK. Um, intriguingly since 2000, where UK exports to the EU were 54%. It's now dropped to 43%. So if I use a couple of our portfolio companies, uh, one is a company called PKPM. PKPM specializes in the integrated planning for the for the banking and financial industry. It's huge expansion and phenomenally successful in North America. Uh, an Australian business we invested in called a cloud PLC, which really empowers SMEs and micro SMEs to trade in a frictionless manner. Founded in Australia, the founder relocated to London because he feels to build a global scale-up business, London presents better talent than any other location by the US. So we've, we've seen our portfolio companies build upon the talent capital that exists in London, build on the heritage of international trade, not just in EU, but in particular in other markets, and you know, not just the US, but emerging markets, where the real growth is in the next five to 10 years, the growth is going to come from China, India, Africa, one of our other recently um, investment companies, a company called NGNF, which is a really fintech platform that allows challenger banks or incumbents to innovate at pace using digital. Middle East is, is a growth, growth sector for them. So it comes back to the point I was mentioning earlier on. Entrepreneurs seize on the opportunities. Even if there's uncertainties, they will build the right value proposition and, and work on shaping their go-to-market programs. And we're privileged to be investors in those companies and work with them really actively to scale their business. You, you, let's just, let's expand that a little bit because I, I 
I personally, and I, I want to play devil's advocate, I personally feel that that there, as much as we talk about innovation and in fintech, I've, I always find it hard where I'm coming across something where I, where I can say, wow, that, that truly is innovative. Um, I know you take a contrapoint uh, to that. And I mean, where, where have you seen these glimmers of intellectual property where you would say, you know what, that is something different that, that, that's done. You know, what are the areas that are exciting you now? number of areas and intriguingly it comes back to a common theme that emerging markets where you have zero legacy are allowed to leapfrog innovation so we india if you look at what india's done in the last 10 years biometrics they have a digital identity program for 1.2 billion citizens the uk government has a program called verify digital identity 90,000 if we see what happened in Africa and Kenya with mobile payments, M-Pesa, I mean, it was by accident the success, but, 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 but if we ignore the, the accidental success of the business, it now equates for over 40% of Kenyan GDP. China, uh, and I think the West need to be very, very mindful of the innovation that's taken place in China across the board. So do you, do you feel, though, that... that but let, I, I want to, you bring up an interesting point relative to where, where these ideas have played out. The, the, the irony to your point on the emerging markets is that in a perverse way, they, they have the advantage of such poor infrastructure that they're able to catapult ahead in terms of whatever cable they're, they're, they're putting down. And, and to that end, um, you know, do you, do you feel that the, the more mature Western economies will ever be able to catch up? Because I always find it fascinating that, to, to your point, when you look at what all of these regions of the world have done, the bizarre part, I think, and again, using the U.S. as a bit of a straw man, has been the almost the ethical questions around this stuff, you know, versus the actual true societal benefit, you know, to your point of like, financially including these people in, in society. And do you ever see that changing? Do you think the West will finally get their arms around this? Or, or do you just see this as this is just something where India and China are going to run far so far downfield that no one can catch up to them? So I think three parts, which I'll come back to the last one, is can the West catch up with India and China? Ethical uh, and the mindset. I think the, you know, the West as a whole or certain key countries in the West have to eliminate their ego it's amazing when we, we interact with the leaders of Western companies, they always call India or Africa as developing countries, emerging markets, and don't look at the growth and, and the amazing um, innovation that's coming through. So, so I think that, that there is an element of arrogance, and that will bite. Uh, you know, we're seeing a number of countries addressing financial inclusion. A couple of years ago, I was invited to Nigeria by the president, and I was blown away, absolutely amazed how they're using technology to improve education. So the whole... Can you give us a few examples yeah, of that? Like what stood out to you? So what stood out to me, first of all, was the whole school curriculum for children in Nigeria was on feature phones. Mm. The whole, you know, not, not a smartphone, on a feature phone. If we look at the UK... One billion school children in the UK do not have access to internet at home. 
Wow. We know uh, who, who will be more competitively advantaged in the knowledge economy. The school children in Nigeria with Ironic. a school curriculum versus a, mil- a million in the UK do not have access. I mean, I view that as criminal, basically. You know, mm. well, uh, connectivity is a hygiene factor. So that, that, that's one example. What the uh, Nigerian government have also done, on, from an educational point of view, just sticking with that theme, is what they're now providing is free tutoring. So you're using SMS to allow students to ask questions to teachers who are unable to get to remote villages. Wow. So, so, so you know, that was one example. Health healthcare, uh, you know, with drones, you know, one of the biggest issues of getting, you know, medical and food supplies is road infrastructure. You're addressing that with drones, and, and, I, and I was, you'll see emerging markets take the lead. So <coughs> it's going to be a number of categories, financial inclusion, <coughs> ed tech, health tech, where with no legacy, no infrastructure, and also let's not lose track, visionary leaders. You know, I mentioned India. Um, you know, what, what Prime Minister Modi has realized is that, you know, the phenomenal success of China has had some you know, negative implica- implications for the economy. One is urbanization. So what is Prime Minister Modi doing? He's rolling out Wi-Fi to, uh, sorry, fiber and providing free Wi-Fi to every village in India. Fiber. Just, you know, that Indian rural economy will be turbocharged in five to ten years' time because they have the co- connectivity to trade Anytime, any place, anywhere, twenty four seven in a f- global frictionless environment. And A Cloud, one of our portfolio companies, has focused explicitly on India as the launch country to really capitalise on visionary leaders. Uh, the second part: Will the Western company uh, countries re- react to that? I think they'll be forced to react because what we will see is um, a reverse copycat. You know, a few years ago, you had the emerging markets copy ideas from what was taking place in the West. I think you'll see UK, US, etc., all looking to copy the, the wonderful benefits of innovation that's taken around in high-growth markets. Uh, the third point you were saying is, could you see the West catching up with China and India? That's a great question. I would say that at this moment in time, it's going to be really challenging certain areas like AI. You know, the Chinese government, <coughs> Alibaba uh, apparently do real-time facial recognition and AI processing of 400 million citizens in China, real-time. Just amazing. Uh, that, Go ahead, that, I'm sorry. That, so that's amazing. Um, that's a competitive advantage that the West will never be able to replicate. Scale, investment, and a closed economy, by the way. What could hinder is really the new Cold War, which we have, and we, we've signed to seeing that in the last two years, where between the EU and the US, where, you know, the competition uh, commissioner, Margaret, in the EU, is single-handedly going to break down the fan companies. In the last six to eight weeks, we've seen what's happened in Canada and America with Huawei. So one way I think the Cold War, which we're in, could result in the Western companies saying, hey, we're not going to allow the Chinese companies in use into our markets. Well, you know what, Amit? Let, let's do this. The, the, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to pick up on that thread. Could, do, do you mind indulging us for one more segment? Would that be okay? That'd be a privilege, my friend.
Well, thank you. So let's let's uh, we'll take a break there for our uh, for our listeners, and uh, again, uh, we'll be right back with Unhedged. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to SohoCap.com slash Unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. I'm not afraid of 